This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by CarePlus Franchising, a market leader in healthcare and home care staffing solutions across the UK, Europe and Middle East. With master franchisor and multi-unit territory opportunities available, CarePlus has been built to be sustainable, adaptable, durable and profitable within an ever-evolving industry. For more information, visit careplus.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, bringing you timely conversations with the most exciting franchise brands of today. I'm Kieran McLoon, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. So in identifying who would be a good franchisee, it kind of, for us not knowing what a franchisee really was at the time, it was more, hey, you know, who can we sit down and break bread with? You know, who do we feel like we can work with to help grow the brand? Your franchise partners are so vital uh, to growing your brand in that area. You have to put a lot of trust in them. They put a lot of trust in you. And uh, I kind of compare it to having kids young where you kind of grow up together. Healthy eating is a trend in the QSR industry that's been undeniably strong in recent months, with consumers looking to dine at brands that are as good for their bodies as their wallets. One such concept that's seen continuous growth in this space is SoBowl, the Acai Bowl and Smoothie franchise founded by Jason Mazarone back in 2014. Jason first came across Acai Berries when he was studying in Southern California and realized that this popular, healthy snack wasn't available back home in New York. With a family history of entrepreneurialism, Jason decided to launch his own restaurant concept, and the rest is history. Join us as we sit down with Jason to learn more about the steady growth of SoBowl and what's next for this undeniably popular QSR darling. So you, of course, initially discovered uh, acai bowls in Southern California and then took the idea back home with you to New York. Um, and I was curious to hear a little more about that kind of initial creation of the SoBowl brand in the sense of was the kind of response to acai bowls um, back in New York immediately positive or was there kind of quite a lot of work to do in terms of you know introducing that to a new audience? It was immediately uh, positive to those who got to try it. Right. It was getting people to try something they had a hard time saying. Uh, so when I first came home, I was making them for my family. Uh, they had no choice but to try it. And then they kind of immediately liked it. And uh, as we started to actually go out and sell the bowls, those who like them were telling everybody. And it really was this homegrown thing of, you know, the first day in the lemonade stand phase where I was kind of inside my, my mom's Italian ice shop, uh, we would sell five, you know, now that's not very good sales, but at the time it was like, Hey, that's five people who we've gotten to try it. And they've all gone out and told five people. And the next day we sold 15 and the next day we sold 30 and the next day we sold 50. So, uh, those who got to try it were super excited to try something new, and especially with the name acai, kind of a, an exotic uh, food, uh, but something that was delicious and made them feel good. And, and so from that perspective, I think once people tried it, they were very quick to, to be accepting of it. But it was the, the hard part was getting people to try it, especially in the wintertime up in New York. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can imagine. And um, I'm very glad that you've mentioned that, actually, because before this interview, I did have to Google the correct pronunciation because it's not something that I'm familiar with here in the UK. Um, but I'm sure that that will change uh, with you guys growing. Um, so you've mentioned as well that in the early days of Sobol, um, 
you know, after that initial kind of introductory period that you had upward of 10 organic franchisee leads every week to grow the brand. Um, and I was curious to hear a little more, Jason, about how you um, kind of qualified who would be a good fit for Sobol in those early days or whether it was kind of a case of, you know, growth was the main priority for you guys. Yeah, I think it was a learning experience. You know, I had come from a background of, uh, of food and an entrepreneurial family, and my partner had come from a construction background. Uh, what we didn't understand was franchising and all the things that, that go into it. So we were very fortunate. We had built a great brand in our two you know, original corporate stores on Long Island that had we had lots of interest locally. So in identifying who would be a good franchisee, it kind of, for us not knowing what a franchisee really was at the time, it was more, hey, you know, who can we sit down and break bread with? You know, who do we feel like we can work with to help grow the brand? Your franchise partners are so vital uh, to growing your brand in that area. You have to put a lot of trust in them. They put a lot of trust in you. And uh, I kind of compare it to having kids young where you kind of grow up together. Right. We've learned a lot about being a franchisor through those first 5, 10, 15, 20 franchisees. And certainly they learned a lot. Uh, many of them were not in the restaurant business, were not previous franchisees. So I think they learned a lot about the roles and responsibilities and obligations we both have as, as that franchisor franchisee relationship. And where you say they didn't have that um, kind of restaurant experience, perhaps at the initial stage, how did you, was it, as you say, just kind of a personality fit? What sort of were you looking for in those stages? Yeah, we, we look for people. First of all, I love people who had worked in the restaurant industry. I think everyone should work in the restaurant industry for a couple months, uh, understanding what being in the weeds is. Uh, you know, when you're super busy, understanding uh, things don't always go perfect and being able to battle through that. Obviously, managerial hospitality is a big thing. I'm a, a hospitality guy. I love to serve. I love to put smiles on people's face. I'm, I'm here to improve someone's day, whether I'm working in a hotel or I'm a bartender or a waiter or I'm scooping your ice cream. I'm here to put a smile on your face, that brief moment that, that we interact with each other. So I was looking for people who had that kind of personality, who had a history of, of work ethic, uh, being able to, to manage. And, you know, our typical employee is a 16 to 18 year old who had really is just entering the workforce. Uh, and that can be a very delicate relationship, you know, uh, especially nowadays to really cultivate people to understand why. And, and, and I'm part of that younger generation, the millennials who want to know why we do things the way we do them. So that has been a big focus. And so like-minded individuals who I felt would be great mentors to a young workforce is really what I was looking for in those first few franchisees. And then when we're kind of talking about Sobol's um, franchising presence, of course, the brand is primarily franchisee owned. I think I'm all right in saying you've only got two corporate owned sites out of your entire portfolio. Um, why do you put so much stock in the franchising model as opposed to opening all of these locations yourselves? So, so when we open, it's a great question. When we opened our second location, uh, we were incredibly successful or what we felt was incredibly successful at the time, two very, very busy stores. We had, we needed a lot of those 16 to 18 year olds, uh, in order to serve our customer growing customer base. And we kind of looked at each other and said, so if we have, you know, 60 employees for these two stores to run seven days a week, we're going to need 600 employees if we're going to have 20 of these things of that 16 to 18 year old range. And so that was the initial thinking, well, I think I'd rather deal with adults and other fellow entrepreneurs and growing the brand and let them focus on working with the kids. Uh, you know, a lot of it also was financial to, to 
say, hey, we can focus on teaching you how to do this and let you go and run the business. So, so that had a big piece of it. I really enjoy the franchising model. I love coaching, uh, showing people the way to kind of fulfilling their dreams. Uh, while the corporate stores are super important to us and they're great training grounds and they're a great R&D facility for us, now that we have you know 50, almost 60 locations, we have an obligation to support those franchisees to really develop the, the vendors that we work with and really stay focused on helping the brand as a whole grow. And when you have many corporate stores, especially when you're a young, up and coming, you know, emerging brand like us, it's, it's hard to focus your attention everywhere and something is going to slip. And so if I had 10 corporate stores, it would be a lot harder for me to stay focused on the franchise and the brand as a whole. So I think it's important to keep a few of those corporate stores, again, for training and grooming, uh, as well as research and development with new product launches for LTOs. Uh, but we really want our team focused on helping those franchisees meet their goals. And what about the um, the kind of build out of your network in the sense of do you primarily focus on um, brick and mortar or has Sobol embraced the kind of ghost kitchen digital overhaul that the QSR industry has seen as of late? Certainly from a technology standpoint, online ordering, third party delivery, uh, loyalty programs, apps. From a technical standpoint, we were heavily invested in those things. When it comes to ghost kitchens, those haven't been something I've really focused on. I feel like as a young a brand that's still emerging, that's still gaining recognition that we don't want to get too far out over our skis. We don't want to jump in to something we don't know a ton about. We really want to protect the integrity of the product, which you know protects the integrity of the brand. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that that's something you might consider down the road? What's kind of your, you know, perspective on ghost kitchens as a as a business owner, as somebody in this space? Do you think that that's... Yeah, I think it's incredibly uh, interesting. I think that the expense and the risk that goes into building out a brick and mortar store versus partnering with these kitchens that can produce your product and, and make, you know, the, the end of the day, we want to get our acai bowl and our smoothies out to as many customers as possible. So I certainly would never say that I would never do ghost kitchens, right? I mean, there is a time where I was really against third-party delivery because I felt like, ah, frozen product, it's going to melt. We're, we can't keep that same standard that we would have, that same experience someone has in the store when we give a third party the opportunity to deliver it 45 minutes later. But Demand has shown me that that's an integral part of our business and that somebody is willing to pay a little bit more and potentially sacrifice a little bit of that freshness that you would get from an in-store experience uh, to be able to have the convenience of it delivered uh, to maybe they're the only person working in their retail shop and they, they can't get out. You know, certainly we grew up with uh, pizza and Chinese food as the as the major delivery services. And so when you were hanging out with your buddies and you didn't have a car, you called to get something delivered. I think that it's amazing and awesome that uh, these third party delivery services have come in and now opened the door to every restaurant. And then COVID really accelerated that. Now you can go to a, a five star restaurant and have that food delivered to your doorstep within an hour. Uh, and, and eat delicious food. I think that that is awesome. And, and so again, uh, glad I didn't close the door on that, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was an integral part of us surviving, getting through COVID. And, and I certainly wouldn't close the door on, on potential ghost kitchens in the future, especially in urban environments where real, real estate is very, very expensive. You know, we're here in New York, obviously Manhattan, the rent is, is, is astronomical and, and a ghost kitchen might be a way to supplement that. There's just a few months left to enter the Global Franchise Awards 2022, which are set to be the biggest instalment yet. 
With a refreshed judging panel, brand new award categories, and a ceremony taking place in San Diego, you simply can't afford to miss out. For more information and to enter today, head over to globalfranchise.com forward slash awards. Yeah, and when we're talking about kind of QSR trends and um, and the coronavirus pandemic to you know a certain degree, um, you know we've heard stories over the past year of healthy eating brands like your own um, seeing a real boost during the pandemic, kind of tangentially related to how people are now more aware of what they're putting in their bodies and kind of their overall health and well being. Um, and I was curious to hear firsthand from you, Jason, whether you kind of have any you know belief in that do you have you kind of experienced a spike rather in popularity as a result of the pandemic or has it been consistent steady growth for you I, I first of all i love the way people being more conscious about what they put in their bodies i say that all all the time people want to know where their product is coming from and how it's being produced and, and we really our build out is focused on kind of an open kitchen concept and so because i think it's really important that people understand where and how their food is being put together I, I think that it has been steady growth. I think in some ways, the pandemic put a refocus on a trend of people eating healthier, being more aware, looking for healthier alternatives, clean, uh, eating cleaner. Uh, I don't think that it was necessarily a huge spike. I mean, it's been a tumultuous last 18 months, to say the least, where we were very fortunate to be able to keep our doors open as, as the lockdowns we were deemed essential Uh but people were very hesitant to go and, and leave their doors. And then as things started to loosen up, like you said, certainly then you saw a spike of pent up consumerism that people wanted to get out and they wanted to eat healthy. Uh, and certainly that that timing worked out with our high season, right? We're a cold bowl product based product. Uh, so, you know, in March, April and May pretty strict lockdowns in 2020. But as the weather got warmer and it seemed at least the first phase of the pandemic was starting to slow down, people were excited to get out and we certainly saw a, a large spike. But I kind of don't get too excited about great days or too upset about down days. It's all about that that average and in incremental growth. And, and we've certainly been able to maintain our mojo, so to speak, uh, through the you know pre-pandemic to kind of, in some ways, I think it boosted us it gave us a chance to look at ourselves. What can we be doing better? It's, it's when we launched our loyalty program, which has been super, super successful. It's something that our consumers have been asking for for a long time. So um, I think it's a little bit of a hybrid of, of both. Uh, I think that that, you know, kind of not being hypersensitive to the, the peaks and troughs is a really level headed way to go uh, ahead with things and kind of sets you up quite nicely for um, consistent growth, as you said, which is kind of what the brand's been undergoing. And um, it's kind of in a in a recent interview, Jason, I read uh, that you'd mentioned that um, you expect 2022 kind of as a result of it we've spoken about to be the biggest year yet for Sobol plans. Am I right in saying to open at least 20 new locations across the next year? Do you have a particular strategy or blueprint for that future growth for their kind of particular regions you're looking for particular partners what does that look like yeah I mean, in opening the first you know 57 58 locations we've learned a lot and and uh the pandemic again kind of refocused some of the logistics and and the supply chain issues that we're currently living in now so we're, we're not dealing with lockdowns but we are dealing with logistical challenges and increased costs so our focus is really to grow around where our, our current markets and not right on top of each other, but within 25 to 50 miles of existing stores so that we can create brand recognition uh, and we can also uh, try to keep costs down from a, a product delivery standpoint. So our focus is still very much 
uh, down the eastern seaboard. We have had great development in Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, up into Massachusetts, um, you know, New York kind of being our, our main hub. So it's exciting to grow uh, from our, our main market, but also not to grow too fast and not start putting people out on an island, which is challenging for them without the brand recognition and, and also challenging for us because we can't give them the support. And it's much tougher to get the products and, and the deliverables to them on a consistent basis and bail them out when things go wrong and, and inevitably things will go wrong in any business. And that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to be problem solvers. Um, and so we really want to try to keep things as, as close together for right now as we go through these next few years and, and march ourselves to 100 units. Yeah, for sure. And um, when you're growing in those existing markets, do you envision that to be with your existing partners in that they'll kind of develop um, or expand their current Sobol portfolio? Or are you going to bring on sort of fresh blood for those uh, deals? Yeah, again, it's a bit of a hybrid. I would say about 50% of our um, franchise system is multi-unit operators at this point or close to in development of their second, third, fourth location. Uh, and, and they are the, the validators for us and they are what's attracting new franchisees to join our family uh, to bring this amazing product into their communities. I have a real focus on what was successful for me is, is what's easy for us to preach. And we opened our locations in our hometowns. Uh, and so I always encourage people who love the product and love the brand that they can be the one who brings us to their hometown. Uh, and I think that their chance of success is much greater when they are introducing this to their network of people, when they have kids in school that can help spread the word or help uh, fill the shifts at the store, that that organic growth is there's there's nothing that can replace something like that. Yeah, that's no, great to hear. And um, my final question for you, Jason, is just as somebody who has grown in emerging franchise brands to over the 50 units you mentioned over a handful of very quick years, um, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are maybe looking to follow in your footsteps and get into the franchising for the first time in 2022? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great question. One I kind of had to ask myself five, six years ago, of, you know, what what do I what do I possess and what do I need to be successful? And, you know, uh, one of the major keys to our success um, has been finding the right franchise expert, the right franchise advisor to help us uh, through the franchising process and introduce us to his network of, of vendors. I think picking the right partners is probably the most important thing. Um with a close second being the team that you choose to work with, right? So uh, the team that I've built on my corporate team, I rely a lot on them to be experts in their field, to have as much passion uh, for support and hospitality as I do. Uh, and then finding those right vendors, those right partners who can supply us, whether it be technology or food products, or paper and plastic, uh, to be partners that we can work with. Um, and we've hit some road bumps with partners being too small. And we've hit some road bumps with partners being too large and, and the chain of command being so ginormous that you can't get anywhere with anyone. Um, so finding the right partners, the right franchisees who really care, who, who you're excited to work with, because it's a bit of a marriage. You know, we, we have a 10-year uh, franchise agreement uh, that obviously has options to go on and on, but you're stuck with that person for the next 10 years and you want to go and develop a brand in that territory. You have to be able to work closely with them. Uh, and same with your vendors. If you're going to force a franchisee to use a, a particular vendor, you got to make sure that you can cultivate that relationship. So uh, really being smart about who you pick to work with uh, is probably the number one thing that has helped us be successful by making those good decisions. 
and just being positive. I would I would recommend anyone who wants to get into franchising to really look at, at the business fun fundamentals, right? Look at your mission, vision, values, and make sure that your everything you do is based on following those missions, those visions, and, and certainly those values. And if that can dictate the decisions you make, if you all as a team, you know, believe in those things, uh, your chance of success and, and enjoying the process will be much greater. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a really um, useful note to end on, Jason. So thank you very much for joining us today and excited to see what's next from Sobol as we move into a new year. Thanks so much. It was refreshing how candid Jason was about his initial lack of knowledge around franchising. He may have discovered a hidden QSR gem in a Cybols, but he still required some additional expertise in order to turn this into a national, franchisable concept. His willingness to look elsewhere for advice and guidance allowed him to grow the brand and should act as a shining example for emerging franchisors elsewhere. It was also interesting to hear about Jason's initial reluctance to get on board with third-party delivery companies, considering the chilled nature of his core product. Again, his flexibility brought in an entirely new revenue stream for the brand. As such, Sobol is a perfect model for why remaining open to new ideas can really pay off in the long run. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. Have you had to change your mind about an aspect of your business which has ultimately benefited growth in the long run? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, Subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.